0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets.
1: This show is brought to you by Pet King Brands, the makers of Zymox and Oratine.
0: It's OBA with Arden Moore the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Renton, Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails, garner great pet tips, and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the paws and applause as we unleash Your O Behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore.
1: Welcome to the O Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Now, one of the most favorite dog breeds on the planet is truly golden in personality. Yeah, we're talking about those tail wagging, always smiling golden retrievers, but far too many of them are being impacted by that terrible C word cancer and leading veterinarians, scientists, pet advocates. They're teaming up to find out why and what can be done to reduce the risk of cancer in golden retrievers and other dogs. And so that is why I am so honored to welcome to our show from the Morris Animal Foundation, one of the most doggone great advocates. See here comes the puns. Yep. Please give pause and applause to the Senior Director of Science and Communication. Dr. Kelly Deal. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kelly. Well, thanks for having me Ard, on Arden. It's great to be here. You can call me Ard. It's okay. That's fine. <laughs> My late great dad used to call me Ardo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Morris Animal Foundation began this significant golden retriever lifetime study 10 years ago. And we have Dr. Kelly Deal on and she is going to share some Vital findings, but we got to pay for the show, so we got to take a commercial break first. So you all know the drill: just sit, stay. We'll be right back.
0: Time for a pause. Four furry ones actually sit and stay, all behave. We'll be right back.
1: Hi, pet pals. Arden Moore here to chat about H two O. Water's wonderful. But know what's even better for your dogs and cats? Isotonic drinks called Kitty Raid and Doggy Raid. My small dog, Emma, is not a big water drinker. So I treat her to Doggy Raid at mealtime and after we take long walks. And I rarely see my orange tabby Rusty at the water bowl. So I put a few squirts of Kitty Raid in a bowl and he comes running. I treat all my furry bunch to a gravy-like meal topper called Yummy Raid. Great news! Doggy Raid, Kitty Raid, and Yummy Raid contain electrolytes, amino acids, prebiotics, and much more healthy ingredients for your pets. Veterinarians give them Pause up and so do I. Learn more by visiting DoggyRaid.com. That's D-O-G-G-Y-R-A-D-E.com. Drink up, pets.
0: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. OBehave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in a household with your pets. Now back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore.
1: Welcome back to the OBehave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today is from a very, very special pet organization. She's the Senior Director of Science and Communication for the Morris Animal Foundation. I love that organization please welcome to the show, Dr. Kelly Deal. Wow. Dr. Kelly, um, when you say the word golden retriever, or you even see one on the street enjoying a leashed walk, don't you agree a a smile just seems to pop up on our faces, right? Absolutely. They're such
2: a joyful breed in general. And I always joke that they have sort of a baseline wag, like they're always wagging. It just gets faster right when they see you but they're always wagging their tails Uh, we have several because they're popular right i have several neighbors who are
1: goldens (laughs) yeah and look how she says it neighbors they're neighbors yeah and uh they do have that little swishy tail years ago i had a great dog named chipper and she was the combo of husky and golden retriever so she had the body by husky color by golden and i think she had the personality of the golden but when i got her from the shelter she jumped my six foot fence that's a husky ran to my front door and tapped it with her paw that's the golden so husky rome golden home would you say yes
2: absolutely i think most goldens yeah i don't think of them as being escape artists they got Um, it good
1: when they got it good right they're smart that way right (laughs) yeah and i do want for the three people on the planet that do not know what the morris animal foundation is all about can you kind of give us a quick little take on it because you've been making significant advances in the health and welfare of all pets for many many years
2: absolutely. We're getting ready to celebrate another anniversary, which is 75 years of Morse Animal Foundation. And we were started in 1948 by Dr. Mark Morse Sr., hence our name. And he was a really interesting guy. He was one of the first small animal exclusive practitioners in the United States when he went into practice in the 20s. And your listeners probably know of Hill's Prescription Diets. Right. And he was the first guy to make a prescription diet. Wow. It overwhelmed his kitchen where his wife was cooking it. Honey,
1: move over. We got
2: kibble coming. I know it's crazy, and so he hooked up with what was a meat packing plant, Hills, in Topeka, Kansas, and they decided to pivot and make his diet. And then over the years, he and his son Mark Morris Jr. created all those diets we see, right? ID and DD and KD. But Mark Moore Sr. was E
1: I E I O, did they?
2: No, they didn't yet, but they're getting there. They're running out of letters, I think. Mark Moore Sr. was also pretty savvy in that he wanted to promote animal research. He knew there just wasn't research going on that benefited pets. And he was crafty. He got Hills like he put a half a cent a can away that forms our endowment of our foundation. Very nice. It was really great. And he had a big hand, both he and his son, Mark Marsh Jr., in the direction of the foundation. And first we did cats and dogs, then we added horses into our portfolio. We do llamas and alpacas and wildlife. So we have a really, really broad portfolio in addition to the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study.
1: And we do have to mention a special golden girl that played a big role in the Morris Animal Foundation before going up to heaven.
2: Yes, Betty White was came to us. It's obscured a little in the mist of time, but we heard that she actually saw from a friend of hers, one of our newsletters. And of course she was a huge animal advocate and animal lover. And she came on board with the foundation and became a spokesperson for Morris Animal Foundation. It's been a great, it was a great partnership. We're sorry. We were terribly sad to see Betty go but her legacy lives on. We have a wildlife fund yeah. that, in her name but she loved all animals oh, she did I've
1: seen her giving uh, food to gorillas just hanging out with her and great Danes you know there was that animal heart beating inside her and you know she wanted to get to be a hundred and she almost made it by a couple of weeks but it, she's probably listening to our podcast right now in heaven because she was also on our show so Betty, Thank you, right, Dr. Kelly?
2: Absolutely. And there's so much that Betty did for the foundation. She first kind of became involved in like 1970, 1972, a long time she was associated with us. She made PSAs for us. She came to meetings and met researchers and was a real advocate for the foundation. And I can't tell you how much she did to help get more Sanibel Foundation on the map.
1: And what about you? How long have you been affiliated? Because you were in private practice for a bit. And you know what made you become a veterinarian? What made you say, I need to go to Morris Animal Foundation? Right. Well, it,
2: it's kind of an interesting journey. I was like a lot of kids where very early on, I wanted to be a vet. Okay. And, and where, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. And my parents were real animal lovers. So we always right. had animals around. We were allowed to bring anything home, which was just... Crazy. We had a lot of different animals Anything over the wild years. That you
1: brought home. What would some young Kelly brought home? crayfish. Oh, from, crayfish. Which actually,
2: okay. my sister brought home, because they were going to dissect a crayfish in her class. And she was like, I think I'd like to bring the crayfish home. And we Good. had gerbils, mice, cats, always a dog or two here and there. The only thing we couldn't have, we had guinea pigs, was a bird because my mom did not like birds. And my dad didn't really like
1: reptiles. So those were a bit off limits for us. Well, it's pretty good though, pretty accepting parents, right? Right. So you became a veterinarian and you were in private practice for how long? About
2: 24 years uh, that I practiced veterinary medicine. And then during that time, I learned about Morris and we at my practice would often make a donation if a pet passed away. I would make a donation to Morris Animal Foundation. I learned about the foundation first when I was a resident because they're a, one of the few places we can get funding
1: grant. And funded. your was residency was in internal medicine, right? Yes, yeah, right. right. At so Colorado she's State. got the DVM and EIEIO yeah, all those, initials after, yeah,
2: right. And I, so I made donations. Then I actually had a Morris grant at one point when I was in private practice. Uh, again, I knew about Morris. Then when I decided to transition into communication and health communication by accident, called Morse Animal Foundation to tell them, hey, I got a publication out of my grant. And where do I send the reprints, which are these oh things right. that we get copies of our article, and just happened to be talking to them. And they said, what are you doing now? I said, ah, I've got to... going into medical writing. They're like, we need somebody. That's how I hooked up with Morris 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago now.
1: Well, that's great. Everyone, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal. She's with the Morris Animal Foundation. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we get back, we're gonna dive into what's happening with this very extensive golden retriever study that's been 10 years in the making. So sit, stay, we'll be right back.
0: Time for a walk Ow. on the red carpet, of course. we will be back in a flash right after these messages.
1: Hey, pet pals, Arden Moore here. Itch, scratch, rub, chew, repeat. Does that sound like what's happening to your pet? Help is here. Zymox skin and ear care products can help calm and soothe your pet's angry skin or red infected ears. For over 20 years, Zymox products have been helping pets find relief for these conditions. For that itchy pet, Zymox shampoo and leave Levine conditioner combines a special blend of ingredients that moisturize, hydrate, and provide soothing relief. For those hard to treat areas like body folds or the paws, easy to use Zymox topical cream and spray are great options. And for those nasty ears, Zymox ear solution is amazing. And you don't even have to pre-clean the painful ear. No pre-cleaning, hooray. All Zymox skin and ear products get their effectiveness from enzymes, Zymox contains no antibiotics and no petroleum byproducts, just the soothing power of enzymes. Zymox can be found at your veterinary clinic most specialty stores for pets and online and you can save 20% off any Zymox or Oratine products on zymox.com just enter the code ARDEN20 at checkout that's ARDEN20 visit zymox.com that's z y m o x.com pause up
0: ever pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about we want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them Tevra pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less. Which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. Tevra pet. helping you and your pet live your best life. Online at TevraPet.com. That's T-E-V-R-A-Pet.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Petliferadio.com. Pet
1: Hi, this is Betty White, and I'm inviting you to tune in to the O'Behave show with Arden Moore on Pet Life Radio.
0: We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper, and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox that is. Now back to O'Behave Here's Arden.
1: Welcome back to the Old Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I am so great you're on the show, Dr. Kelly Deal. And I love the Morris Animal Foundation, but I don't love cancer. So let's tee it up. What is going on? What made the Morris Animal Foundation a decade ago say we need to really take a closer look at one of the most popular breeds? And that happens to be the Golden Retriever. Give us some little background on what's going on with that breed.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story. The Golden Retriever Lifetime Study, as we now know, it was a kernel of an idea that popped up probably about 2009. Okay. And at the time we had a CEO, Dr. Patricia Olson. I
1: remember her. She's on, I still see her on Facebook.
2: Yep. So Patty was there and of course, Betty Morris, which people know the Morris name and Betty is the widow of Mark Morris Jr. Okay. But She has a PhD in nutrition and is a very smart lady and very concerned about cancer. And she and Patty got together with Dr. Rod Page, who is the head of the Flint Animal Cancer Center at CSU, which for those of you who know dog cancer or animal cancer in general, right? They are a real oh, yeah. powerhouse mm-hmm. and a source of a lot of um, really good research up there, right? They see a lot of dogs and cats and treat them for for cancer. So the three of them were just chatting casually and decided that what was lacking in veterinary medicine was what's called a longitudinal study looking at cancer over a lifetime of an individual, what was coming out in the literature was like a slice of time. Like we're going to go and we're going to pull all the records of dogs, let's say that had lymphoma, and we're going to look back and maybe we can find some associations, but really that's an inadequate way of looking at, like, you don't know what the pup, people don't remember what their puppy may have been exposed to, right? Years before. And they, the um, model for it was the Framingham Heart Study for people who may have heard of it. It is now in its fifth generation. It also started in 1948 in Framingham, Massachusetts, and it was designed to look at risk factors for heart disease, many of which we now take for granted, like smoking. Oh, That yeah. was not known before framingham and what they did is they signed up all these people from the town of framingham and like i said they're on the fifth generation
1: that's of crazy people, yeah and
2: they had them tell everything they just followed them for years and years we did not know there was no association with cholesterol and heart disease till framingham really so you can see yeah it's an amazing study and dr page said you know what we need a framingham for cancer for dogs Amen, yeah. And yeah. that's where it began. The second choice they had to make was, okay, what are we gonna study? Who are we gonna study? How are we gonna do this? And we know, unfortunately, that golden retrievers have a very high incidence of cancer. It's as over a
1: breed. 50%, right?
2: Yeah. Some people say 60. Wow. They knew that. We also knew goldens are popular breed. So a (laughs) lot of people have them because we needed a lot of people to sign up.
1: I mean, you're not going to go with a breed that's known as don't bother me breed. You've got to get one that's kind of popular and and people love, right? Right.
2: Because we needed enough dogs, right? We needed enough dogs for the study and we needed 3,000 was determined to be the number to look to do what's called adequately power the study, which means yeah. if we find something, we can't have 10 dogs. We need 3,000 oh. to say, you know what, there's something here. There is yeah, strength a in
1: numbers. I mean, years ago, I worked at Rodale uh, Press and Prevention Magazine and learned a lot about the methodologies of studies and white papers are pretty good. And there'd be somebody that do a study and they think it's like that in a, a box of chips. And it was like, Four cats in the study, and they all lived in the same household. So you all know how to do it right. You're doing a cross-section all over, and numbers do matter. Right, and be once
2: we got the framework for the study set up, then recruitment began, and we started in 2012. So that's why we're celebrating our anniversary of recruitment. We finished recruiting our 3,000th dog in March of 2015.
1: Wow, that took us good. a
2: long time, so almost three years to get fully loaded <laughs> as it was because there are certain hoops people had to jump through and it's a pretty extensive study. These folks fill out an over 100 question questionnaire every year and their veterinarians have to fill out a questionnaire as well and they had to be on board too, right? Because there are sample collectors and they have to provide data.
1: This is like the census on steroid, right? Right, exactly.
2: And, you know, over the years, we had a change. I mean, we all know that technology has changed in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And if you looked at our old website versus our new slick website for people to fill out questions, it's very, very different. You'll have to have enough computing power to be able to accumulate that. We had a contract with the outside organization. It's Fisher, Thermo Fisher, if you've seen Fisher stuff, right? They have lab equipment. Well, guess what? They have giant facilities in Maryland where they store their biorepository for samples. We contract with them. We're, We're a tiny little piece because they do mostly human studies. In fact, I think we're their only veterinary study, which was a little unique for them. They've never had to do Uh, animal study, but we did that. And over the years, we've switched. For example, we have to pack boxes and send them to people every year. Like, here's your annual kit take it to your vet that that has to be coordinated every year people do them at different times obviously based on these dogs
1: all start as puppies or did they come in at different ages
2: no they had to be between six and six months and 24 months so six months and two years because the thought was we need to really at first they were going to start that's an interesting question arden because in the original pro in the original protocol they said five years they have to be five years or younger. And then it was thought, "Mm, I think we're going to miss some exposures and we're going to, so it was six six months to two years, which added some length, of course, onto the end of the study too, because they're, they're, they're younger
1: dogs. Well, we're all going to be as old as Betty White, you know, so let's just, you know, this is an important study. Right. Um, Right. Now I know you're still gathering information, but are there certain, types of cancers that you're finding more uh, prevalent in Golden Retrievers? That's a good question. I wouldn't say they're more
2: prevalent in Golden. They tend to be common ones, but, okay. but they're still, what we're finding is Hemangiosarcoma, which is a tumor, typically it goes in the spleen, the heart, the liver. And we see a lot of those, which we anticipated we would see in Goldens because they're a breed that gets a lot of Hemangiosarcoma.
1: And that's a big mouthful and i know we're not going to make you spell it but everybody it starts with an h there you go yes
2: yes we see a lot of lymphoma now lymphoma is the most common cancer of dogs in general
1: i did not know that oh okay
2: and so we see a lot of lymphoma not unexpected because it's common cancer for all dogs so hemangiosarcoma is a golden it tends to be large breed dogs. We don't see a lot of sarcoma in small breeds, though so they will get it. Lymphoma. So no surprises there. We also were looking at something called high-grade mast cell tumors. And mast cell tumors are probably the most, let's say, common skin cancer beyond, you know, lumpy bumpies like fat, fatty tumors <laughs> and sebaceous yeah. gland, uh, you know, those little fatty things right that burst and are kind of gross
1: a groomer's delight when yeah
2: right right and those warty growths like if you think of an old poodle but anyway mast cell tumors are very common skin cancers in dogs and they could be low grade and high grade and we're counting everything but we were interested in high grade and surprisingly have not had as many as we anticipated so a little surprise The other, we had four main cancers, so I just named three of them. The fourth one was osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer. And that's been very low in our dogs. Golden's I wouldn't say they're the poster child for osteosarcoma. Typically, we think of Rottweilers, Great Danes, like Irish wolfhounds, so really tall statured, giant breed dogs. Typically, uh, St. Bernard's are another, if you want a poster child, but we were surprised at the low number. So a few surprises that we didn't anticipate when we moved into the study. The one cancer we are seeing more of than we ever anticipated was something called histiocytic sarcoma. And Say that again. Histiocytic, and then separate word sarcoma. Okay, which is a super super nasty cancer, and it's at a higher rate than we had anticipated. Looking at like actuarial data before we went into the study, that's really peculiar for us, and we're wondering: histiocytic sarcoma can look like hemangiosarcoma if it's more common than we thought, and it had been misdiagnosed in the past. As hemangiosarcoma, not through any fault.
1: No, it's all a learning curve. Yeah.
2: Right. But, you know, if you have a dog that's coming in, that's bleeding out from an abdominal tumor and the veterinarian, and I've done this in practice, you know, we're working with the surgeon, you go in, there's metastases everywhere and you go, we're just going to euthanize this dog on the operating table. That happens very, very commonly with hemangiosarcoma. Those cases may have been osteocytic sarcoma, but I wouldn't always send in a biopsy. You have a dead dog and really really upset people, you may go, well, it looks like hemangiosarcoma, which is more common. So we're going to have to tease that out. That's something we did not anticipate, but that's why you do a longitudinal study because the idea is to find things that maybe you weren't expecting.
1: So the fact that you're doing the study and you're picking a very popular breed, I mean, it's kind of sad because some of these pets may pass due to some type of cancer or accident or anything before 10 years or whatever, but what is it about the Golden that seems to have a higher propensity for one of these cancers?
2: That's a good question, and we'll be looking at that. One study that we did, we're, well, it's in progress, is this thing called the Golden Oldies
1: Project, which is kind of cute. Come on, that's good. Come on, you guys, you're very serious, but you got to make a little name that right. people remember. Okay. So, and And the reason
2: for our golden oldies project is, so we have these dogs, the average age of our dogs right now is about nine. And we are definitely seeing a lot of deaths. 75% of our deaths so far in the study are related to cancer. So that's a higher rate than what's been reported, but we got to keep going. But people started to say, look, maybe we can't wait to the end to see who doesn't die because we need to know who doesn't die and who dies and compare them, right? Yes but that could take a few more years. And we were, well, you know, be nice to start looking at this stuff now. So we started what's called the Golden Oldies Project. And we recruited dogs that weren't already in the study, but were over about 10 years of age, 12 years of age, and had never had a serious cancer. Like they could have had a little mast cell tumor taken off or a little lipoma, but they couldn't have had a serious cancer, even if they were cured of it. We wanted dogs, old dogs, and we've got genetic material from them. So DNA, okay, because we want that DNA to compare to the DNA of our dogs who have had cancer, to see if there's a genetic difference between the two, like a genetic predisposition, or a gene that's mutated over time, right? So that maybe we can look for a genetic marker of
1: cancer. When did you start the Golden Oldies spin-off? Oh, I sound like two, a TV producer now. 2
2: years ago now. And we just got trying to think when we launched it. Maybe in the summer of 2020 we started to ask for samples. We collected through 2021. It went to the lab and we just got that analysis back a few months ago. Okay. So now we're making that, trying to make that open this, for this people to look at and take a look at it. Because the thought is that dogs that live to great age, which is also something that happens in people, they don't tend to
1: die of cancer. They die of other problems. Heart condition, diabetes. Old age. I mean, yeah. I have a friend 98 years young. So yeah, she's right, she's chicken. Right. And I don't want to say that older people don't get
2: cancer because they absolutely do. But I think those of us know that a lot of times our risk for cancer goes up a lot as we hit middle age and late middle age. But then if we make it to 80, 90 years of age, the chance of us getting cancer goes down again a
1: bit. And you may suspect it might happen with canines.
2: Yes. And so the idea was to compare very elderly dogs, right? Wow. Golden retrievers like 12 to 14 is pretty old for a golden retriever, right? It's not old for a miniature poodle.
1: No, my Husky golden retriever lived to be 14. Right. And I was grateful, but she didn't have cancer.
2: Right, exactly. So we're looking at that because there's also a lot of rumblings. And for the golden retriever owners who are listening out there, that perhaps, for example, in Europe, they don't see as much cancer in their golden retrievers. Interesting. In Australia, they may not. And the thought is that the lines are different. And I have a lot of questions from people who go, oh, the English cream, which is the particular color, right, of golden, they don't get as much cancer, right? And I don't know that I can answer that. But it speaks to that question of genetics. And that is something that's really important for us to know. Is there a gene that could be used as a marker, just like BRCA1, BRCA2 in women?
1: And think about that too, because You know, years ago, they finally did uh, the genome sequence for dogs and cats. That opened the door for it. There could be a genetic marker that you all are studying. But people are also wondering, is there any lifestyle or nutrition links that you found that may make a dog more predisposed to cancer?
2: Right, and that's the other big area that yeah. we're looking at. Because thank you for that lead in, Arden. That was very I teed it up for, for you. Me. You Dr. did tee it up for me, um, because that is a big question. And we do a lot of our questionnaire is devoted to things like what's your cooking fuel, your primary cooking fuel, your oh. flooring. Do you spray anything on your lawn? Do you use your neighbors spray anything on their lawn? Do you use oh, good. herbicides?
1: Well, think about COVID. Everybody was getting everything with 409 and all these other things that have ammonia and bleach. And you know, you're the vet, not me. I teach pet first aid, but I tell people, no hand sanitizer on your doggie's paws because of the mucous membrane issue and respiratory, but same thing, you're cleaning a floor to get rid of the coronavirus, but your beautiful dog shouldn't be prancing down it before it's completely dried, right? Right,
2: right. And you know, exposure, secondhand smoke, all of that. We just hot off the press.
1: About- That's our big audio. Uh, oh, okay, hot off the
2: press. About a month ago, we published our first, one of our first papers, and we did this in conjunction with the folks at University of um, Wisconsin-Madison. We had a wonderful summer student who wants to pursue oncology, and he looked at, at a very high level, our cases of lymphoma and their proximity to certain environmental, like are you near a coal pit? right? Are you near this? And he, um, this is going to be controversial, but it's what the paper says. They didn't find any links, but, that's a big but, they did find trends to different types of lymphoma to possible exposures. And it's probably important to let people know, like lymphoma, we lump it together. There are lots and lots of subtypes. People probably have heard of Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, for example, And people. There's like a... I don't want to say like a hundred sticks in my mind, but I don't know that it's that high, but there's definitely 30, 40 different subtypes of lymphoma. And we're seeing the same in dogs. And one of the authors of the paper, who's our epidemiologist and calls herself a lymphoma snob. That's her direct quote is when I asked her about the paper and said, what do you think? And she goes, I think we need to look at subtypes because we were starting to see a trend Toward maybe B cell lymphoma versus T cell lymphoma. And I know I'm throwing terms out there, but it's the idea that perhaps we can't lump lymphoma together in one grouping. And perhaps B cell lymphoma, there are associations. I mentioned earlier lymphoma, we're getting a lot of dogs. We're going to have a pretty strong number, unfortunately, of lymphoma dogs. So we're going to take a deeper dive. And we have all that genetic material too to also take a deeper look. So we're, thinking, okay, there's no obvious. I mean, you're looking for the obvious first, right? Like, if you put, if your neighbor puts this on the lawn, that's going to be a big problem. We didn't find it, but it doesn't mean it may not be there or maybe it truly isn't there. And we need to look at something else as a risk factor. I think there's been a lot of press about your exposure to gas stoves, right?
1: right and fireplaces wood-burning fireplaces Fireplaces, right Um,
2: there's been some links we've seen in cats though it's a little shaky about secondhand smoke right because they lick their fur they groom a lot more than dogs and people have talked about that you know i have a friend who was on this paper her whole jam is of toxin exposure and cancer and she works at university of wisconsin madison and she always says if you have a neighbor that has a really beautiful lawn don't let your dog go on it they're spraying it and and she's totally really good tip yeah she goes when you're in a park and the lawn is pristine do not let your dog on it go look for the one with the weeds because they're not treating what a
1: great tip and same with walking your dog don't let your dog go on those zip lines where they're far ahead of you, and they they woof down, uh, you know, a cocoa mulch, which is so bad for the dogs at the Theobromine. But yeah, I love that. I'm glad we humbly have some weeds in our yard. We don't put pesticides on our grass for Kona and Emma. Yeah,
2: we don't either. And so I always thought that was funny. She has a great yeah. sense of humor, and so but she always says, "But that's a smart tip." She said, "Really, like seriously, if you're walking your dog in the neighborhood, even if you don't ever see your neighbor spray their yard, if it's pristine, don't let your dog."
1: So we it. have a couple minutes left. We're talking about Dr. Kelly Deal from the Morris Animal Foundation. What's a couple tips you want to give or showcase? How to shut old people to your site and the study?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have a really unfortunately uh, name for our website, which is Morris Animal Foundation. All one word. Dot org but if you go there you'll be able to see we have a whole section devoted to the golden retriever lifetime study and the publications that have come out of it so far though that one that i just mentioned is a big one yes it, it is, is our latest is our latest but there's lots of them in there the big health ones we're just coming up with now because the group is aging we also you can poke around and see our other dog stuff and if you're into wildlife most animal people are animal people right dog people are animal people and it's it's interesting to see even what our horse and llama stuff we do them don't forget the alpacas we do have llama and alpacas we just published another one on alpaca the gray color and alpaca very cleverly the researcher who's in Australia called it shades of alpaca gray. That was the title of her grant. And it was almost like, give that woman some money because that's just a really clever title. And she just finished that. But you can learn a lot of different things.
1: on You know what I'm finding in your voice is here's somebody who's a veteran veterinarian, and you're on a new chapter relatively with this work. You dig what you do, don't you?
2: Oh, I love it. I love learning different things. And I think as I've gotten older and your listeners can't see it, but Arden can see that my hair is quite gray. I am happy to learn more as I get. I'm just always amazed at what I can
1: learn. And that's the kind of people we need because you can be someone. We had a bunch of Dr. Kelly deals. There's a lot of happy goldens to think. I hope so.
2: Uh, They're a great breed. And I hope that what we find, you know, I think of it as a concentric circle. So the middle circle is maybe all we'll find is going to be applicable to goldens. But then the next circle is all dogs. And then the next circle is animals. And then the next circle is people. Like can, is this all going to have some real impactful translational information that will impact all of us?
1: well you are on the longest running pet podcast on the planet obi has been on the air since 07 when nobody even knew what a podcast was (laughs) so i hope we can have you back and keep it going and i want to thank everyone there at the morris animal foundation for everything that they've done that has improved the lives of our pets and given us good scientific back knowledge to be able to be good pet parents. So please go to morrisanimalfoundation.org, everyone. And Dr. Kelly, I really appreciate you being a guest on our show.
2: Oh, I loved it, Arden. I'm always glad to talk about our work and I will keep your offer in mind because if we have a real hot finding, I'm gonna give you a buzz.
1: Give me a buzz. (laughs) Hey everybody, at this time, I want to do a shout out to my producer, Mark Winter. He is the surgeon of sound. He is the executive producer of Pet Life Radio. We are the largest pet radio network on the planet. And also humbly, go check out ardenmore.com, See what I'm up to. I just finished my 27th pet book. It is called The Dog Behavior Answer Book. Comes out next month with The Cat Behavior Answer Book. So check out Why I Have Strong Typing Fingers.